Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's Bucks at Falcons at the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta. Ronald Jones is out, but the Bucks may have some new specialists in all because of their problems with COVID-19. We'll tell you about that. And it's conference championship weekend in college football. The Gators and Alabama square off for the SEC title. That one also in Atlanta. Clemson has a rematch with Notre Dame in the ACC. And Ohio State plays Northwestern in the Big Ten. All of them with playoff implications. We'll talk to Matt Baker, our college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, Christmas is right around the corner. What are you doing? You're lost. You don't know what you're going to get your significant other or perhaps a, uh, a child or somebody that you want to buy for. Well, I got the perfect idea for you. Go to Breitling Boutique. That's right, Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. Look, there's only one of 15 of these in the United States, and we're blessed to have them. You have to check out these gorgeous Swiss timepieces. I mean, these are absolutely beautiful watches for men and women. Um, I'm telling you, they have been uh, welcoming championship quarterbacks and Hall of Famers and championship boxers as clients, but they treat everyone just terrific. They'll treat you the same way, too. And if you go there, make sure you tell them that Rick and Steve sent you, uh, and you heard it on this podcast, and that you will then get a free $60 Breitling cap just by trying on one of these beautiful Breitling watches Thank me later. I'm telling you, this is going to make somebody's Christmas. Go do this. Go do it now. Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. All right, Steve, it's a uh, a big game. They're all big now. There's only three left, the Bucks at Atlanta, and they certainly uh, are playing a team that has not really lived up to its talent. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons have struggled. We knew they had a coaching change. Raheem Morris is the new interim coach and has done a pretty good job since taking over there. Certainly Dan Quinn uh, struggled, and once they fired him and Thomas Dermitroff, there was obviously, uh, you know, that's that's a major change for that organization. But they still have Matt Ryan. They still have um, Calvin Ridley. Julio Jones has been banged up. I'm not sure if he's going to play or not with that hamstring. And, you know, you got to give Raheem credit. He has got that defense playing very, very well. They've been opportunistic. They've uh, gotten turnovers. I think they've only allowed just over 20 points a game since he – um, you know, took over as the head coach. And um, look, this is not for all the people that think that, you know, okay, the Bucks beat Minnesota. That was a hot team coming in here, six out of seven, a better football team than Atlanta for sure. Do not sleep on the Falcons because I have said this, even in their best years or in Atlanta's worst years, it seems as if the Atlanta Falcons find a way to split against the Buccaneers. And as long as you have you know, some marquee guys that have played in big games on that other Atlanta Falcons football team, along with Dirk Cutter, who is their offensive coordinator, not that far removed from the Bucks himself. I think that, uh, you know, the Falcons have, have a very good chance in this game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the way, I mean, outside of what, one game against New Orleans when they got pummeled? Right. Um, and they played them a couple weeks later and played them a lot tougher. Played them tight, yeah. You know, the one thing is when you change – head coaches you change general managers everybody on that team is playing for jobs yep from coaches mm-hmm. raheem morris whether it's in atlanta or somewhere else dirt right. cutter to be offensive coordinator um, all the players they're playing for jobs because everything's off the table for next year and they know that and, and that's one of the reasons that a lot of t- reasons that teams will play better when you make a coaching change uh, part of it is that that coach is gone but the other part is everyone's going i got to play for a job or I may be out of one. I mean, you know, there's no guarantee I'm back next year. I mean, you know, outside of maybe Matt Ryan and maybe Julio Jones and a couple others, everybody's job's on the table at this point because you don't know who the GM's going to be. You don't know who the coach is going to be. So you're playing for your job with that organization or another one to impress. So, you know, even though they're not playing for a playoff spot, 
they're playing for their jobs and their careers and next year and the year after and, and making an impression. So, and, and they've played very well, you know, since the coaching change with the exception of the one saints game. Yeah. And I think what, what helps the situation, cause I know their, their team president and the guy that runs their football operations now, Rich McKay, of course was a longtime general manager here when the Bucks won the Super Bowl. He always hated firing a coach during the middle of the season. Cause he uh-huh. said, he always told me, cause you know what happens the next day? All those assistant coaches that are left behind, they're all looking for jobs because they assume they're going to be fired too at the end of the year. So the game plans aren't as good, et cetera, et cetera. What's different about this situation is that Raheem Morris has a chance to be their head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be remote. I think they're still going to hire a general manager and let that guy make a decision. But nobody makes the decision other than Arthur Blank. And Arthur Blank has a very, very good relationship with Raheem. They meet every week. Um, and, you know, it is uh, he has done a remarkable job. They should have won a few more games with him. They had a couple catastrophic things happen late in the games um, for a couple of those losses, including last week. Matt Ryan threw three interceptions and one that that was just egregious. But um, aside from that, you know he has turned the defense around. And Raheem is an energy guy. He's brought energy back to that football uh, team. He's coached on both sides of the ball. They had him coach receivers a couple of years. He's been the assistant head coach. Great communicator, and I hope he gets a job. If it's not in Atlanta, I hope he gets a job somewhere because he got railroaded in Tampa Bay. And, and you know, um, I'm going to write about this more on the weekend. But um, you know, to be honest, if you go back and look at the stretch that they had, the first year was a complete disaster because the Glazers intentionally gutted the franchise of any veterans that they had, with the exception of Rondé Barber. They wanted to cut payroll. They had three uncapped years. They wanted to maximize the amount of profit they could make because they didn't have a minimum salary that they had to pay players. So that meant go young, go cheap. And they got rid of, you know, Cato June and Derek Brooks, if you've ever heard of him, and, um, you know, those kinds of players. Uh, And, you know, because of that, they weren't going to sign free agents, so they took some chances on some character guys that were really talented but – you know, were drafted lower than their talent because of things that had happened off the field, guys like Mike Williams, guys like LeGarrett Blunt, uh, And, you know, after they completely screwed up and hired this guy's coordinators, hired Raheem's coordinators, he was only 32 at the time. They wanted to match him with some older coordinators to kind of balance his youth. Uh, hired Jeff Jagosinski, who had been in Boston College as a coach, fired him 10 days before the season opener. How do you like that? Uh, start to a season. You fire your offensive coordinator 10 days before because they found out he had an issue, uh, anxiety type thing, calling plays, what have you. Uh, and then into the season, Jim Bates, who was their defensive coordinator, got fired after 10 weeks. And Raheem took it over. That was the first year with, oh, by the way, Byron Leftwich was the starting quarterback until late in the season when, when Josh Freeman finally got in there. Um, they won their last game or two at the end of that first year. And then the next year, they took off. 10-6 and six record. And Oh, by the way, the Bucks have not won 10 games since. That was 10 years ago, 2010. Uh, and then the next year, they just missed the playoffs uh, when they went 10-6, and six, which most years, including this one, would get you in. Um, but then the next year, they started 4-2. and two. So you talk about a run, you know, winning the last few games uh, back in 09 and then 2010 winning 10 and then 2011, they started 4-2 uh, and two with wins over Atlanta and New Orleans. They go to England. Um, and to play the Chicago Bears, and the wheels come off. They're there a week. Some things happen over there. Guys don't really get in trouble, but there's some altercations. They're staying out late, what have you. Um, the biggest thing that happened was they lost Ernest Graham. They lost a couple of veteran players, and they had no one to replace them. They were going with really young guys like LeGarrette Blunt and others, and it was just you know not enough depth, not enough free agents, uh, no free agents, in fact, from the 10-win season um, to speak of. So... Uh, Raheem lost 10 in a row and got fired and never to be heard from as a head coach again, but he's gone everywhere. He's gone to the Redskins back to Atlanta. Um, whether he's been, uh, you know, a guy that had to take over the defensive coordinator late last year for Dan Quinn, he's done a good job. He took over the defense with the bucks, um, you know, in the middle of that or the end of that first year and, and ran it the rest of the way. So, He's also coached wide receivers with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and those guys, and so he's been on both sides of the ball. Look, I think Raheem has done a great job. I think he'll get a head coaching job. I hope they at least uh, he gets lots of interviews this time around. 
And the Bucks have some issues. I mean, when you're sitting here with your leading rusher, Ronald Jones, with 900 yards, first it was the broken pinky finger, which they had to place two pins in that. They didn't know if he'd be able to practice or play. And then before he could get to practice, he test, uh, you know, presumably test positive for COVID or at least has to sit out because he's on the reserve COVID list, which means that he might have been exposed to it. Uh, in any case, uh, they're not going to have him play on Sunday, and it'll be Leonard Fournette as their starting running back with Shady McCoy, you know, coming in and some Keyshawn Vaughn, the rookie as well, you'll see. But, you know, Leonard Fournette has been in the doghouse, the absolute doghouse. Uh, they did not like how he was playing. He had, you know, he had the three drops against the the Rams, you know, several games ago. Um, and when he's carried the ball, I think the last four games, he's averaged like 2.3 yards a carry. He's not productive. And on top of that, his attitude hasn't been very good because I think, um, Fournette believed that when he was signed here, you know, they had an unproven commodity in a sense with Ronald Jones. I think Fournette thought that he would take the, the starting spot from him, and he had a 100-yard game early on, if you remember, against Carolina, and it looked like he might just do that. But Ronald Jones held him off, and Ronald Jones is their starting tailback. Fournette, you know, played some games as, as sort of the third down back, the guy that could catch out of the backfield. Um, and And then, you know, they they had an he wasn't very good so they replaced him with shady and you thought uh oh this is a problem well now he's going to get his chance again but it's not a guarantee that he's suddenly just going to play well um he hasn't you know really had that much work they've got a, a running back by committee if they need it um but this game again could could get very tough for the bucks and i still think they win the game um you know i i think they're favored by 4 4 and a half or something like that Atlanta's had trouble protecting Ryan, and, and for a change, the Bucks have played all these mobile quarterbacks that roll out and bootlegs and waggles. But the great thing about you know Matt Ryan is you know where he's going to be. He's going to be right in that pocket. And so um, you know they gave up nine sacks to New Orleans uh, two or three games ago, and, and they've had struggles on the offensive line. So this is a game that the Bucks defensively should you know should be okay, even though they've got some really you know outstanding weapons on the outside um, and, and some good tight ends as well. So we'll see how it goes, but uh, uh, very important game. Obviously they need to win this one to keep pace in the wild card race. And then they got the Detroit lions after uh, Christmas uh, on the road. And then they come home and play Atlanta again in the season finale. And I think if they win three out of four, they're definitely going to be in the playoffs. In fact, how you like this for a long, long shot, Steve, if the bucks win, and Minnesota and Chicago tie, the Bucks are in the playoffs. <laughs> I've never rooted chance. for a tie before, but now I will. <laughs> That's their chance, man. I, I don't know what the percentage is for a tie in the NFL, but it's very small. I think it's probably uh, less, less than 1%. But, uh, uh, hey, stranger things have happened, I suppose. So this, this is an interesting game. You know, they need to build some momentum. They can't start with five plays in the first quarter. Brady has missed some throws. Um, when you talk to coaches, I was talking to some of the Atlanta coaches, uh, and they were saying how you know they watch, they watch the Bucks. Everybody says the same thing. It's, it looks like he's stuck between the Bucks offense and what he wants to do, and they're starting to do more Brady things, but not all of them, you know. And I think that's kind of been the problem all year. But there's still time to get some momentum, to get to uh, you know to iron out some things on offense, to get some rhythm, which is what they need. They need rhythm in the passing game. I know they committed to the run a little bit more last week. I think you can throw the ball against the Falcons in this game. Um, and if they do that, then, you know, you've got two more games to continue on and, and build some momentum to the postseason. Because in the NFC, there are no teams that are like the Kansas City Chiefs. It is wide open, in my opinion, even if you have to go on the road where there's few or very little fans. So I think all that matters. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
All right, Matt Baker joins us now. And, Matt, we're going to talk about all the college football, the conference championships, the polls, all of that, and especially uh, Florida and Alabama. But first, uh, what's the latest? You got an update as we do this podcast for Friday on Gators basketball player Keontae Johnson. Of course, he's uh, the young man that collapsed during the Florida State game. Um, How's he doing? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, UF said uh, just a couple of minutes, actually, as you guys were calling me to record this, um, that he is showing truly encouraging signs of progress and still undergoing tests and being evaluated at UF Health. Um, What does that mean exactly? I don't know. I mean, nobody has said publicly what happened to him. Uh, neither his family nor uh, UF officials have said that. So there's a ton of questions. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to speculate on that. But hey, uh, truly encouraging signs of progress is a good thing. So let's uh, take that and, and be happy for it, for whatever that means. Absolutely. It was a scary, scary sight. And um, I'm glad that certainly the arrow was pointed up for him. And I guess they'll, they'll have a few games canceled uh, until uh, they come back, right? Correct. Yeah, they were supposed to play North Florida this week, and that got postponed. And then, again, they just announced that uh, they're supposed to play FAU, FAMU, and James Madison here within the next week or so. Um, and all three of those games have been postponed as well. Yeah, understandably. Well, let's talk about college football. And, of course, it all begins right here in the state of Florida um, uh, and setting up this game with Alabama the Gators did not do what they needed to do, Matt, and they put themselves in peril of not making um, the Final Four, if you will, uh, in college football's championship, uh, losing to LSU. And it'll forever be known, I guess, as the, the shoe game, the, the day the shoe the other shoe dropped, what have you. But Marco Wilson, and I feel, I feel awful for this kid because, you know, out of emotion he threw it 20 yards after a tackle an opponent's shoe – but there certainly were a lot of opportunities that Florida missed in that football game, and I was stunned uh, that that they managed to to lose what you know was a very important game for them uh, right before this SEC championship. I, I've been trying to think if I've ever covered a weirder game than that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I've certainly covered better ones. I've probably covered maybe more dramatic ones, and certainly with with, with bigger stakes. But I think that was the weirdest, Rick. Um, you know, I, I'm in the press box. It is so freaking foggy. Like when with the two field goals at the end, I couldn't see whether it went in from from where Jeez. I was sitting. I, so I had to I couldn't see the refs really. So I just kind of had to gauge the reactions. Um, wow. And then the the shoe, the shoe. Um, I didn't see it live because again, I can make out some players, but I can't see any sort of details like that. Then right. I, there's a flag apparently, and the ref says uh, personal foul for for. Uh, taking LSU LSU shoe and throwing it 20 yards downfield. And I actually put on Twitter, like, did, did he say that? I, I must have misheard. Um, and, and no, no, that's that's what happened. The, the, the guy threw a shoe. Um, mm. And here we are, however many days later, and it's still just this mind-boggling thing where that's one I'm going to remember for a long, long time. And let's face it, so are these Gators. Um, yes, it's easy to say that the shoe cost them the game, and to some degree it did. But look, there's a lot of issues there. I mean, the, the defense as a whole is not doing a, a good enough job and hasn't for much of the year. Um, you, you and I were texting during the game about Brad Johnson's son, Max Johnson, and his first start. I mean, let's face it, he outplayed a Heisman Trophy uh, contender in Kyle Trask. Pretty good, um, yeah. Trask, Trask made some uncharacteristic mistakes. There was some bad luck there with it. one interception in the red zone that pinballed off two different guys and got to the you know, that the LSU player and, um, you know, the, the offensive line, I don't think did a good enough job. Receivers didn't get open enough. The run game wasn't good enough on and on. And, and obviously the loss of, of, or the absence of Kyle Pitts there was, it was a huge factor in the red zone as well. So yes, this was the shoe game, the, the catastrophe as a uh, Graham Hall of the, uh, the Gainesville sun called it. And I, I saw that I liked it. Um, but there's a lot of issues there that, know have, have kind of been magnified from from this where at the end of the day win or lose this was still a team that was probably not going to beat alabama was probably going to lose by two scores and uh now here they are just with the uh, their stakes maybe not quite as high yeah and that's the disappointing thing i mean they could have positioned themselves with maybe a convincing win over alabama get to the national championships of course their goal is always first and foremost to win the sec they still have an opportunity um, to do that and and so uh, look they're going to get you know their top receiver the top playmaker back and it's still a battle between uh, you know Kyle Trask and and, and uh, Mac Jones I mean for for the Heisman I suppose uh, 
So there's still a lot at stake in this game. How do you see Florida bouncing back from this? Will they be laser-focused and and able to overcome it, or will there be some kind of a hangover, you think? I don't know. I don't have a good read on that situation yet. Um, And let's face it, Alabama's a much better team. So no no matter how focused they are, their quarterbacks are are, are comparable. They both Mm -hmm. have very good receivers. I mean, I think the best player in the field is going to be Devontae Smith who might be the best player in the country. But Alabama's got a better run game. Alabama has a better offensive line. I mean, talk about interesting stories in this. Landon Dickerson, Bama's center, he was a a blue-chip recruit to Florida State who had a bunch of injuries, didn't quite pan out there, goes to Bama, is having a great career and a great season as kind of the anchor of a a good line. Um, Bama's defense is much better. Uh, Najee Harris is one of the better running backs in the country. So, I mean, let's face it, Alabama is just a better team. So I don't think to some degree it matters how focused uh, and, and how they bounce back. Because I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to see. I don't, you know, the, this is college football, everything, anything can happen. But look, the top to bottom, Alabama's got a, bet, uh, a better team and a very, very good chance to win, no matter how kind of dialed in the Gators are. Well, let's talk about uh, what's likely to happen. in the final college poll, uh, of course, came out prior to these conference championship games and no surprise obviously i know um matt we've talked about this i think they've ruined college football and and not so much the final four teams do we have to disagree with with alabama clemson notre dame and ohio state in some order um but there just doesn't seem to be you know zero inclination to include anybody but the blue bloods um in this process and and i wonder what are what is college football teams? What are they supposed to think when they start the regular season? And it doesn't seem to matter who they play, who they beat. Um, they give way for way more pre, uh, you know preference uh, to to these big programs. Um, I mean, I don't I don't particularly like where college football is right now. Yeah, I don't either. Because what makes this sport so special? One of the things is the idea of anybody can beat anybody on any given Saturday. I mean. If Appalachian State played Michigan, sorry, Steve, 99 times or 100 times in 2007, Michigan wins 99, but they didn't Mm -hmm. win the one time it actually happened. And and you can do Boise OU and and, and on and on. Um, And and the fact that so many of those teams, I mean, look, half the field doesn't have a chance. It's, it's, It's ridiculous. I mean, we can go way down this rabbit hole. The idea of Cincinnati moving down a spot for being idle. Okay, you know, sometimes that happens. Somebody moves up. I, I, I get it. Has Georgia been that much better where they deserve to move up o- over Cincinnati? I don't think so. And then you hear what the what uh, Greg Barda, or, uh, Gary Barda, the uh, uh, chairman of the committee, said something about Cincinnati uh, having been idle for a couple weeks. Okay, that's true. But Ohio State has played <laughs> three fewer right. games, and I don't right. remember that being a big issue at the beginning of the year. Oh, wait, it, yeah. it, it wasn't. So now we're going to think that Cincinnati is less because they haven't been playing, but ignore the fact that they played three more games and, all, by the way, won them all um, compared, to, compared to Ohio State. Okay. You, you want to talk about uh, Iowa State, which is a very good team. I, Iowa State is a, is a fine team. They're having a great season, a uh, chance for their first conference championships since 1912. Hey, good on the Cyclones, and I sincerely mean that. But they're, they're a two-loss team sitting there at number six in the rankings. Coastal Carolina, which has played more games and won all of them, and, and also has two top 20 wins, just like Iowa State, is down there at 12. What? And, and then yeah. you, you go deeper. I'm sure I've ranted on this before. But the, the idea that Iowa State is that much higher, look, we have so little data here, Rick, um, just because of the way this is shake, shaken out. We don't have a lot of the non-conference games. So it's really hard to tell who was who better than who and that sort of thing. So we should use the data that we do have. And in this case, Iowa State and Coastal Carolina have a common opponent, Louisiana Lafayette. Iowa State lost at home by 17. That wasn't a fluke, by the way. Uh, 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 Louisiana Lafayette played a lot better. So Iowa State lost at home to this team by 17. Coastal beat them by, by three. What are we doing here? Like, th- that's something that in a normal year, if we were talking about um, uh, Oregon and Ohio State or whatever it is, that's the type of stuff that would matter. But here we are sitting sitting here on December 17th as we talk, and, and it, it's a complete non-factor here. And it's it's frustrating because, um, again, I, I love the sport. I want to see good matchups. And, and the other side of this coin is that 
Well, okay. Is Coastal really the fourth best team in the country? No, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and argue that. Um, so would Coastal get destroyed by Bama? Yeah, probably. But lo- look at the, how the semifinals have been over the years. The, the very first semifinal I was at in Pasadena, it was 59 to 20, Oregon over Florida State. Was that a good game? No, it was terrible. I, I, was, I was done writing a halftime, it felt like. You, you look at some of the other ones. I mean, Clemson... Uh, crushing Ohio State, you know, last year LSU crushing Oklahoma, uh, on and on. Most of the semifinals have been dud. So it's not like Coastal, you know, maybe Coastal would get killed, but hey, Ohio State might get killed. We don't know. And and, and that's one of the, you know, I could go on and on about this, but the, the rankings, to me, it's kind of crossed the line this year um, just because we don't have the data. You know, in a normal year, we would know that the SEC was was how much better than the rest of the leagues because, the Gators would have played Florida State, and Bama would have played USC, and, and Kentucky might have beaten Louisville, or whatever the situation is. But we don't even have that this year. So we're just looking with our eyes and, and not using all of the data in front of us, because when Iowa State can lose by 17 to, to Louisiana Lafayette, and Coastal can beat that team and be undefeated, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think what makes sports interesting, and maybe life to some degree, is that is like you said, you know, a team has earned the right to try to upset one of the better teams. Like when we, um, you know, when we go to a movie, we don't, you know, we don't root for the, the, the superior team to just crush everybody. I mean, there's, you, you love the underdog. That's what's great about the NCAA tournament. There's a chance that there's going to be a Cinderella. They're not giving these teams any chances, and, and it just, it's, it's just become repetitive year after year after year after year. And so um, I, I think they got a problem. I don't know what they're going to do to address it. Um, but there is going to be a bunch of conference championship games this weekend, and it might shuffle the deck, I suppose, maybe not, but um, they got to play the games, right? And, and one of those uh, in the ACC uh, title game this year, at least, Clemson gets a rematch with Notre Dame, and they also have Trevor Lawrence, their starting quarterback. So how much of a difference would you think there will be now uh, with him at the controls? Well, let's just, just t- take a step back. I'm going to step back on my soapbox, if that's okay, on, on the Absolutely. ranking thing. I had I had some hope that things might be different this year. And again, mm-hmm. if it, if those are the four best teams, then, then so be it. But I thought there was a chance a group of five team would at least be in the conversation because we don't have the non-conference data. And, and you know, teams have played Ohio State has played half as many games as some of the other guys. And 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 I thought there might be even more chaos this year just because of COVID outbreaks and, and that sort of thing. So the fact that we're sitting here and nothing has changed is, is, is crazy. Um, so the question is, what, what, what does it mean? What's it going to happen in the future? I, th- I think there's six more years, five more years, something like that, left in this college football playoff contract. At the end of it, I think there's going to be a serious look at um, whether it needs to expand. And honestly, I think this year might end up being the tipping point where you're going to have a potentially undefeated Cincinnati not have a chance. And and Coastal not have a chance. And and heck, Coastal Carolina might not even get a New Year's Six Bowl game, which is ridiculous. The fact that they could have two very nice wins, or if they win Saturday in the the Sun Belt uh, against Louisiana Lafayette, three very nice wins and not have a chance to get in because we have to have uh, a three-loss Florida team in the Peach Bowl or whatever. We're, We're getting to the point where it's just getting to the tipping point where something has to change, something has to give. And I think that's going to happen in the next couple years when the cycle comes up. And I think this is going to be, uh, ma- this season is going to be a major factor. Why now Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, yeah. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the, the X factor here. Not, it's not fair to call him an X factor because he's a superstar, but he, he wasn't around in the first game. DJ Uyunglele played quite well. I think it was 439 passing yards. Clemson was also with, without some of their guys on defense as well, but that, that's the big thing there is, is Trevor Lawrence. I want to see how he does against a, a Notre Dame defense that, typically has been quite strong um, and, and how much he can elevate his team uh, against a good Irish team. And, you know, I, I think Clemson's a better team. I think Clemson will win that game. And I mean, just, we spent time ranting about the playoff and it's crazy. Alabama, I think is almost certainly in Notre Dame, I think is almost certainly in win or lose. And if Clemson wins and that's three of them right there. Wow. That would be something. And, um, which brings us to, uh, you know, the game that everybody, you know, wanted Ohio State in this thing come hell or high water or whether they played four five or six games and, and they are in the Big Ten championship. They're there against Northwestern, 
which I think perhaps if Indiana had not lost uh, their quarterback, maybe they'd have snuck in there. But North Northwestern does. And they're a good defensive team. Matt, I don't think there's any way they can hold this Ohio State team down or score with them. So uh, is this just going to be a romp? Yeah, probably. I mean, again, you, you never say never. My, my first game uh, as a college student, uh, Northwestern played Ohio State and what would that have been? Oh, four. Uh, double overtime, Noah Heron topped a, you know, had a, a run to, to beat Ohio State for the first time since like right. 45 years or something like that, something ridiculous. Um, so it could happen, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Ohio State's defense has been very strong in the first half, a little shakier in the second. But I mean, Northwestern just doesn't have the offense there. So it's going to have to take, have to be like a 10 to 7 uh, rock fight kind of thing. And I think there might have to be some fluky things in terms of fumbles and tip drills and what have you. But look, uh, Justin Fields is awesome. Uh, Ohio State receivers, running backs, all really good. Um, I, I find it, unless there's some injuries or COVID outbreak or something like that, I have a hard time seeing Northwestern winning it. In a normal year, USC and the Pac-12 in general would have gotten, I would think, a little more consideration. They, of course, started later than than any um, you know college football conference, obviously. They play Oregon. What do you make of the Trojans? How might they have fared if they were in the middle of this thing? See, that's where it gets interesting, doesn't it, Rick? I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the, the rankings and the, and the standings right now. Ohio State's 5-0 and in a Power 5 conference. USC is 5-0 and in a Power 5 conference. Right. There's nine spots in the rankings between them. Now, again, hmm. can I justify it? Yeah, look at watch the film. Ohio State is a much better team. They have a superstar quarterback. They have a bunch of dudes on offense. Their defense is not elite, but it's still pretty good. Um, with some you know, Sean Wade and those guys, so they've got they've got dudes I can easily justify it. But at the same time, it's kind of head scratching. Um, what I think would happen though is if there was a full season, what we would see is USC would would stumble some um, mm. because they don't have an elite amount of depth. They haven't been recruiting at a super duper high level, um, and they would lose to a. I can't remember who their schedule. Well, I think they would have started against Bama. So the, out of out of the gate, you're zero and one. Um, What's interesting about this matchup is just how it has had to to change because of COVID. I think as of Monday, if I remember right, Washington was still supposed to play USC, but Washington uh, did not have any offensive line avail- offensive linemen available, which is a problem in football, as I understand it. And so they had to swap them out and put in Oregon. So USC wasted however much time preparing for Washington when now they're not playing them and then a game on a Friday night. So yeah, that's a, that's a weird one. I think I like Oregon to win here just because USC is kind of, I'm still not sold on them. And the, the other kind of question around USC long-term is Clay Helton. Is he the coach who's going to bring the Trojans back to glory? Well, you look at this year where he has a chance of going six and zero and winning the conference. Maybe you think so, but you look at how, uh, how recruiting has gone and you look at some of the losses they've had over the years. I don't think he's the guy. So I think this is one of those situations where as they keep winning now, it's making them they're, they're losing in the long term because the longer he's there, the more he's going to get lapped in recruiting by your organs and those guys out West. And they had an amazing game against UCLA and a comeback after another comeback. And it was, uh, it was entertaining football uh, with uh, Chip Kelly's team and the Bruins. We've got Oklahoma and Iowa State are going to play for the Big 12. And I'll say this about Oklahoma. They've played better of late. I mean, they started to gain a little bit of traction anyway. Yeah, and the defense has gotten a little bit better as the season's gone on. Obviously, that's been the Achilles heel for the Sooners for quite some time. I mean, they've always been able to put up points, but their defense was would uh, just be atrocious, especially in the, the and when they get to the semifinals against an LSU or a Georgia or one of those guys. But Alex Grinch's defense has been making strides. I, I kind of like uh, Iowa State here. Um, I don't have a great reason why. I just think they're so solid all around. They're not like great in anything uh, other than Brees Hall, one of the top rushers in the country. Um, but they're solid all around. They're tough. They're physical. And I think Iowa State's got a legit chance there. And uh, you know, good on the Cyclones for, for being in that conversation and for keeping Matt Campbell this long. I'm going to back up a little bit because I just got to get your take on this. What in the hell happened to Miami against North Carolina? Goodness gracious. <laughs> I was on my way to, uh, to, to Gainesville and I had the radio kind of going in and out and uh, finally get, get into the, the press box, able to kind of really sit down like, okay, let's look at this Miami. Oh my God, what happened? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that went on. I mean, uh, obviously, North Carolina is really good. Uh, their, their running backs, Carter and Williams, are, are very good. Receivers are good. Sam Howell is awesome and they're going to be a star in the ACC next year as well. And then going on to the NFL, the one that got away from Florida State. Um, we also have to look at Miami. I mean, they were shut down for a little bit uh, because of a coronavirus outbreak. They were able to overcome it the, the week before to beat a, a bad Duke team and beat them pretty handily. But I think things have kind of piled up there uh, over the course of the year. And finally, the Hurricanes are like, okay, we're, we're kind of done here. Um, I, I don't think that's like a good excuse because you know that's Miami should not be in that situation. But I think that's probably the easiest explanation there is that they were just kind of all right, we're, we're done. Let's let's go home. Matt, before we go, I, I let's talk about recruiting. And of course, you know, recruiting in this day and age is a tricky business at best, right? Um, you've got a lot of guys that can transfer play next year. All of that factors into it. But as far as the first signing day goes, how would you rate uh, or sort of? highlight what went on at least um you know sort of with the 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 florida schools that we're interested in yeah it it was not an eventful day for florida they they got pretty much all the guys they expected signed 21 uh, top 10 class um a a very nice class back to back in the top 10 for for mullen again assuming the stands we'll see what happens over the rest of this signing period and then in, in february as well Miami, I thought, had a very nice class as well in the top 10. They got a commitment or a signing late, la- uh, late on Wednesday night from Jake Garcia, who's a uh, top 50 overall recruit in the country, uh, four-star quarterback uh, in-, in Georgia who had been committed to USC. That's a huge get for them. Uh, obviously, we know until De'Aaron King how much they've struggled at, at that position over the years. So that's something going forward. He has a potential to be a very, very good, maybe even a star for the Canes. Florida State, kind of more of the same, unfortunately, for the Knowles. They're outside the top 30. They're not getting enough of the kind of high-profile guys. But I think some of that is by design as well, because I think they're going to be very active in the transfer portal. Um, We already saw that with them getting uh, Mackenzie Milton from UCF. I think we're going to see that more going forward as a way to kind of fix things in in the short term while they, because again, there's a lot that has to be fixed with, with the Seminoles. And the easiest, quickest way to do it is through the portal if you get the right guys. And USF, I thought, had a very nice day. Um, you, you look at uh, Jimmy Horn Jr., a three-star receiver that kind of blew up late and had offers from Tennessee and Georgia. I think Oklahoma was in on him, and he ends up at USF. So that that was a, the type of big get that Jeff Scott needs. And then let's not forget, they brought in five transfers as well from, from Power 5 schools. The biggest one was, was Jaron Williams, a quarterback from Miami. You know, he was the, the starter, somewhat surprisingly, an opening uh, weekend in 2019, I thought played pretty well against the Gators in that awful, awful, awful game in Orlando, um, but showed a lot of toughness in a, in a tough situation. Uh, had had one game where he threw for six touchdowns against Louisville to, to break a school record. So there were some highs there in addition to the, the very low lows at the end of the year. So he, he's a guy with a lot of promise. And if he kind of is the good Jaron Williams that we saw at times, that's a huge, huge get for, for the Bulls and Jeff Scott. Matt, uh, I assume you'll be focused, uh, as we many of us will, on the uh, Florida-Alabama game, but you're also a Heisman Trophy voter. Um, going into this game, who is your favorite right now? Do you have one? Have you settled on anybody yet? It, it, will it come down to, uh, to that football game between Mac Jones and Kyle Trask? Well, it's going to come down to this weekend in general. You know, I, I, I've, I have a list in my head. I haven't written it down yet of five to ten mm-hmm. guys that I'll consider. Four yeah. of them are in the Alabama-Florida uh, game. You know, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, and Devontae Smith. But there's sure. others I'm going to look at. You know, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson is obviously a big one. Um, this is the biggest game he's had this season. I want to see what he's able to do because if you were to just ask any, give any coach truth serum, who's the best player in the country? If you could pick anybody on anybody's roster, who do you want? I think most of them would pick Trevor Lawrence. And I that's agree. something I'm going to have to consider as a voter. Um, if I were doing my ballot right now, and obviously I'm not, I think Devontae Smith from Bama would be the guy I would put number one. I mean, uh, Mac Jones has been great, but I, I don't think he's the best player on the team. You look at the way uh, Devontae has played over the year, and, and you know, obviously that circus catch he had against LSU being the, the highlight. Last week had a, a punt return for a touchdown against, against Arkansas. I think he's the best player in the country as I sit here right now. So I'm going to watch the game with that in the back of my head. Let's see what happens to... Uh, reinforce my decision or make me second guess it or and third guess it uh, before I sit down and do my ballot on Monday. 
He's Matt Baker, and you got to read him in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. He covers college football as well as anyone in the nation. I would uh, put that against anybody. And uh, we've got conference championships. We've got college football final polls coming out next week. It's going to be exciting. We're almost almost to the uh, end of the road here, Matt. It's been a, a, uh, a very confusing, <laughs> um, <laughs> interruptive, and nothing like this college football season, but uh, it, God bless them. It looks like they're going to get to a championship. And it and it's remarkable. You know, I remember asking Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, at the start of the season, what would be a successful year for you? And he said, being in Atlanta, handing somebody the SEC championship trophy in December. So barring something crazy in the next uh, two days, whatever it is, that's going to happen. And I did not know if it would. So I guess give everybody credit for for getting this far, even though there's been a lot of bumps and there's certainly a lot of fair criticism you can make about how it happened. But on the field, there's going to be big games this weekend, and I'm excited to be at one of them. Uh, I'm excited for you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week about those games. Thanks, Matt. Sure. Thank you. All right. Some uh, one other note, Steve. The uh, the Rays, I guess, have a catcher. He's their old catcher, or at least their former catcher, or the guy that they went to the World Series with last year. Uh, Mike Zanino is going to stay put. I guess he signed uh, like a one-year deal and maybe an option, but mm-hmm. um, they had to do something, right? They had to cover themselves defensively. It doesn't mean I think that they're out of the catcher market per se, but I'll say this about Zanino, and I don't look. He's a streaky guy who's never an average hitter. He's you know he's around two hundred, but he did get his home run stroke back at a time when they really needed him, and that was in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, no, he did, and you know, he, yeah, he's always been a streaky hitter. If you're a fan of of good offense. Um, this signing does not impress you. No. If you talk to the race pitchers, they're thrilled mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he calls a very good game behind the plate. I think the race pitchers in general were better when he was behind the plate than other catchers. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, you know, look, as a team built by pitching and defense, this is a good signing. They got him for less than they paid him last year. I think it's what's $2 million this year. Right. There's a guarantee of $3 million next year, but it could go up depending on mm-hmm. – uh, if they if he's on the roster and then there's escalators in there for you know performance and that so you know th- look they had no catchers on the roster there's not a good catchers market this year I mean you know Yankee fans have given up on Gary Sanchez and they're basically saying yeah he's our catcher because there's they don't have anybody else to go to um, there's just not a lot of good catchers out there so you kind of you don't want to say had to do this move, but knowing what he provides to your pitching staff and how he handles them and what he does defensively, it's a good move for the Rays, and they got him cheaper than they did last year. Yeah, it's economic, and you got to cover yourself. And if something falls out of the sky and that you want to take advantage of, you still can because mm-hmm. you're not paying him so much that you feel like you have to play him every game. And you only have one catcher on the roster, so you need another one. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to have at least two, probably more than that, but um, – and that's something. I tell you, if I was playing ball again, tools of ignorance. My dad caught for years in professional baseball. I did it for like from the ages of seven to eight. <laughs> and I was like, nah, this isn't for me, man. Who wants to wear all this stuff and get beaten up with foul balls? It just, it just didn't make any sense. I wanted my sons to be left-handed middle relievers. Perfect. You're not going to make a ton of money every year, but you're going to make forever. good money. You're going to play for 20, 25 years as long as you'd like. Getting and, one guy out in yeah, a game. You know, now That's three, it. okay, fine. But, you, well, know, yeah, you're, you're, you, you know, you're pitching, you know, 20 innings a year. And, you know, hey, that's perfect. But both of them yeah. are right-handed. I, they're messed ah. up. Yeah, well, <laughs> not much you can do about it at this point. Oh, we got some yeah. NHL news, too. Oh, so, yeah, that's um, right. Hopefully the NHL is getting close to a deal on with the players and the, the owners that they're going to vote soon for return to play and how everything's going to work and games. And they're still targeting January 13th as a start date, but it could be pushed back to as late as February 1st, depending on everything. But there's an issue with Canada now. So they're going to have to temporarily realign this year because the Canadian – you can't cross the border. So the seven Canadian teams were going to go into their own division, and then they would realign the remaining 24 teams in America to three eight-team divisions, and you would just play in your division. Well, the NHL has to come to an agreement with all the provinces of Canada to return to play because right now they can't even do that. Forget the fans in the building. They won't even let them play. Wow. So now there's reports, as we tape this on you know late fr- uh, Thursday afternoon, that all seven Canadian teams may have to relocate to the U.S. Goodness. And then there'll be a temporary realignment again based on where they would be playing at. So 
Um, you know, they're trying to eliminate travel as much as possible this year. And you might see a lot more back-to-backs. You go to a city, play two games in a row there, kind of like they do in the minors. But so, you know, all that's still up in the air too with hockey is because Canada's much more strict on, on how they're doing everything at this point that they may have to relocate all seven Canadian teams to the U.S. You know, I was thinking maybe they could have two teams in Tampa, you know, Toronto or somebody comes down here. But now that I mention it, um, there's already a basketball team meeting up the other dates that the mm-hmm. Lightning are playing. So could get one at the Amway that. Center and, and have another yeah. hockey team right up the road potentially. Or Yeah, there you go. Um, you could go to some cities like, uh, you know, Kansas City or Milwaukee, some, you know, cities that have arenas but, you know, don't have hockey teams and stuff. So uh, it'd be interesting. Man, 2020 is rolling into 2021, and the weirdness, the weirdness continues, man. It's going to be hard to figure out uh, what, who's in what division and, and all of that, and teams you know, having to, to play outside of their country. and It's just it's too much sometimes, Steve. I'll tell you. I'm going to just hope that we get through it. And We're two weeks from uh, 2021, so. I know. I mean, I, I you know. know everyone keeps saying it can't get worse, but. Well, not me. I don't say that ever. <laughs> I didn't say you know you. we can't have nice things. <laughs> yeah, no, we cannot. No, we can't have nice things. And and the one thing I tell my kids all the time, this is as good as I'm like I'm Jack Nicholson in the movie. You know, what if this is as good as it gets? <laughs> so <laughs> I just assume, hey, enjoy today because it could be raining tomorrow. You'll know when it's raining, but if if you're having a good day, enjoy the hell out Speaking of it. Speaking of raining, did you, uh, did you see how strong those tornadoes were that went through on Wednesday? I did. Those are not EF2 with 125-mile-hour winds. Yeah, and they were wide, too. Like, typically, mm-hmm. you know, tornadoes in Florida, for whatever reason, are more like glorified water spouts, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're very narrow in scope, and they don't stay on the ground for long. That thing was, I saw pictures of it. That thing mm-hmm. looked like you were in Alabama or something. Yeah, no, I, I grew up in the Midwest, so tornadoes Ooh. were a lot more bigger, more common, more often. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you don't see that down here. I mean, we have more of the hurricane threat and tropical yeah. storm threats, and you get occasional. But, yeah, that, those were those were some nasty hurric- or tornadoes. I, I've been to the Midwest, and, and I remember my first trip to, trip to Omaha, Nebraska, to cover the World Series. I was in a hotel, kind of a mom-and-pop place, actually. It wasn't one of the, you know, it might have – I don't know what it was. But, anyway, in the middle of the night, I heard – you know, that whole siren started going off. I didn't know what it was. Yep. And then it dawned on me, that's a tornado warning. Yep. And where am I supposed to go? Like, I'm at a hotel. So I looked outside, and sure enough, it was raining and windy. And fortunately, I didn't, I always was told, if you hear a train, <laughs> it sounds like a train. Um, but it must not have been close enough to uh, to do damage to where I was or on the ground that long. But I'm telling you, uh, from the Wizard of Oz on, I I have rarely seen anything as frightening. To grow up in the Midwest and see those monster tornadoes, I can't. And, and like you said, they're totally unpredictable. I mean, they just pop up, right? Um, it's not like a hurricane where, and as bad as hurricanes are, I'm not minimizing what hurricanes do. We've seen it wipe out entire cities. But at least there's some warning. There's some evacuation probabilities here. Tornadoes? Holy cow. What a what a frightening thing that is. Well, and that's what they're you know the weather chasers and the, you see you know from the movie Twister and the storm chasers. Yeah, and, you know their whole goal is to figure out how can we give people more of a warning. More. How of a can warning. we figure out before these just all of a sudden pop out of nowhere? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, they often know when the conditions are possible for tornadoes, but sure. as far as absolutely, you know, when and where, then they're still you know still trying to figure that out. So. Yeah, you just go cow, and then. Then you know it's coming by. Yeah, I mean, I um, you know I grew up in you know my dad was in radio, so in in Ohio, and you know when when the weather get bad, I'd go into the radio stations, and you're listening to you know the ham radio operators. Oh goodness! All over, you know, and they're telling you, hey, there's a tornado here, and that's you know how you're relaying info on the air. I would I would run back and forth from the the engineering shop where the radios were to the studio, sending information back and forth. I was you know eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, but I would go in and help if I was in school or whatever, and. You know, but, you know, that's how a lot of that information gets out in those rural com- communities and such is using yeah. technology like, you know, old technology like that. And then, you know, your ra- local radio station helps. The good old ham radios. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Well, hopefully there'll be no tornadoes uh, this weekend in Atlanta and we'll see how the Bucks and the Falcons make out. We'll talk to you about that uh, on Monday. 
Hey, uh, remember to uh, check out our friends at Brightling Boutique. You know Christmas is almost here. And I know because the people that listen to this podcast, they haven't done any shopping. I mean, I know you haven't. So well, we got a few we, weeks left till Christmas. Is that right? Uh, not even a few. Is what? it? Oh, what? I better. Yeah, get we're shopping. down to days, bro. I gotta get shopping. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. One of the things I love to do is on Christmas Eve go to a mall or go somewhere and just see all the panicked <laughs> people. Seriously, I do this because well, thankfully I have a great wife who handles all of it, right? Except for maybe what I got to get her, which usually is she has everything. So I, you know, hey, honey, what do you want? I buy it, but. It's fun to see, like, the, you know, the dudes mostly mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. just haven't planned and, and, and they're just, you know, eventually, you know where they go? They go to Brightling Boutique. And, and, and it's a good idea because when you go to Brightling Boutique and there's only 15 of these, this is the thing. We're blessed to have it here in Tampa Bay. So when you go to Brightling Boutique and you look at these, I mean, absolutely stunning Swiss uh, timepieces, uh, these watches, um, you know, are worn and, and, you know, welcomed by like we're talking the Tom Brady's of the world, right? I know he endorses another watch, but you know, Hall of Fame type quarterbacks and you know, boxers and 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 just all kinds of uh, professional athletes and clients and high rollers basically. But you don't need to be a high roller because you can afford these. Trust me, uh, and you're going to love them. And you got to go in there and because Breitling's going to treat everyone like they're a celebrity. That's how they treat you, and they'll really treat you well if you tell them that Rick and Steve sent you because. If you do that and say you listen to this on the podcast, you try on one of those watches, first of all, you're going to walk out with a watch, which is the greatest gift you can get anybody that you love. And secondly, they're also going to give you a free $60 Breitling cap just for trying on a watch. So you can't beat that. And you solve, we solved all your Christmas problems right here. So by listening to this podcast, you're done. Go to International Plaza, go to Breitling Boutique, and they'll take care of you and tell them Rick and Steve sent you. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.